to the Movie Babble Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Cush, and this time on the pod, we are so back. We have never been more back. Movies are back. We're here to talk about the phenomenon that is Barbenheimer and all the fun that has come with it. It really kind of does feel, we joke every time that movies are back on this podcast. It's been the running bit, but this time it kind of does. It feels like that. Just don't think about the dual sag and writer strike too much don't that's over here don't worry about that <laughs> but joining uh, me to talk about uh both these really fun movies today first we have um he is he has become death destroyer of podcasts that's spencer henderson what's going on buddy barbenheimer podcast i thought this was an about my father podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm gonna move on <laughs> and also joining me uh, he's a liberated man. He knows crying's not weak. That's Colin Willis. What's going on, buddy? Uh, just living it up in a state of blonde fragility. <laughs> so Barbenheimer is here. It's, it feels like ever since we saw the first, I guess, behind the scenes image of Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie in their colorful, um, I don't even know what those are, those jumpsuits that they're riding around in L.A. Ever since those came up, all of us were like, all right, Barbie, looks like it's going to be the greatest movie of all time. Um, We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I really do think the biggest thing about this entire weekend of movies, um, which we haven't really seen in a while, is just how big of a deal both of these movies coming out together was for the industry, just people and culture. Just the memes have been incredible. Um, the fact that we have two just polar opposite movies coming out that are both from renowned filmmakers and are about interesting topics. It's just, it really does feel like it's just been a fun blend of, I don't even know, just, it just feels like it's really like a little, like a fun thing of culture that we haven't felt in movies in a while. Um, but I know, and a big part of that was doing the double feature, the Barbenheimer double feature, which I had a lot of fun with, I know all of us here did it, um, I guess I'll put it to you first, Spencer. Kind of what were your experiences going with the double feature? How did you feel on the day? What were your your experiences with it? What 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 did you what did you go through? I was pumped uh that day just because you know this double feature, it it felt kind of like the Super Bowl to me in a in a weird way where it's like, oh, this is like the the event I've been preparing for all year is the the Barbenheimer double feature. Uh, I thought long and hard about what order to watch the movies in. I ended up doing Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. Uh, that's second. the correct decision. The yeah, correct that's. Decision. I, I got hey, told man. by. Uh, I got told by some people that that was the wrong way to do it, but I I stand by my decision honestly. I, uh, yeah, it was. It's it's an interesting weekend at the movies because, like you said, we have two movies that tonally feel polar opposite from each other they're both auteur driven films that feel like they are original have a vision uh and yeah it was like it felt reinvigorating to me like when I walked out of Barbie at the end of the night which it's a long day at the movies just because of mostly Oppenheimer but (laughs) when I walked out of Barbie it's like I just felt like so I haven't felt this way in a summer season at the movies since I was like in high school, where I was like walking out of a midnight showing when midnight showings were actually midnight showings. I'm like just so excited about what I just saw. Um, 
and it like helps spoiler alert that i think both these movies are very good so to great very good to great so that's that's kind of where i that's kind of where i land initially on my thoughts yeah it's it would have been a massive bummer if both of these movies were just pure shit (laughs) that would have sucked so hard um yeah it's i would agree both movies i had a lot of fun with in very different ways and yeah it's just been cool to see both these movies do really well i think barbie ended up with like what 160 something at the box office this opening weekend our oppenheimer was over 80 um sound of freedom in there with 20 you know uh, outpacing the mission impossible uh, it was oh. just a really good weekend for box office um kind of all around um and it was just really fun just to kind of see people in pink uh, come like running into the theater in droves. There's people that were wearing black, and I was like, "Oh, they're go- definitely going to see Oppenheimer." Um, it was just really, really fun. But what about you, Colin? How was your day at the theater? It was really exciting to not be the only person excited to go to the movies that weekend. Like, <laughs> you know, most of my friends are like, "Yeah, I'll just catch whatever on streaming." Um, but like, everyone was amped. To, to be a part of the Thursday night crowd and go see Barbie. And even if they weren't all doing the double feature, like so many of my friends and just like coworkers were like, yeah, I'm going to the movies this weekend. And they were excited for it. And like, you know, this summer has been kind of a disappointment at the box office financially for a lot of things, you know, with indie, you know, flopping the flash, flopping even harder. Um, and even Mission <laughs> Impossible taking a while to get its legs. Um, so it's nice to just like see things breaking records that, I I don't want to call it non-IP because like it's it's Barbie it's an IP but like this new thing for the movies is that you know that's not a part of an established franchise is just making so much money and to see a very non-blockbuster movie in Oppenheimer become a blockbuster movie is really exciting um you know I'm no stranger to double features I do those pretty often just because usually it's like oh I have one day this month to catch up on a bunch of stuff uh but I did it the right way I did Oppenheimer and then Barbie um I figured it was kind of a shot chaser you know get get all the press first and then let let uh I'm just Ken lift your spirits as you go into the rest (laughs) of the evening but it was great like I had so much fun um just being at the movies and being a part of barbenheimer i can't imagine doing oppenheimer second i'm happy we all agree because that would have been a point of contention for me because that's just i don't know we'll get to it in a little bit but the ending of that movie is just like i can't i can't imagine yeah. doing that second and just ruining the <laughs> rest then, of my and day and then going home and going to bed yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that's, that does not sound fun yeah i'll yeah. take i'll take uh, i'm just ken instead that makes a lot more sense to me yeah it feels like this is the first time in a while that I can remember where there was something like this that was like as big culturally that wasn't like tied to like Marvel or something like that. Like Endgame and Infinity War were huge and they were probably still bigger than this. But I can't remember the last time something was like the buzz was this big for something that isn't like a superhero movie and it felt really cool. Um, Interestingly, I saw that one of the last times something like this happened was when The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia opened uh the same weekend so i guess <laughs> i guess dark mama walked so barbenheimer could run kind of thing i don't know uh, but it's just it was really cool yeah you did oppenheimer first i went with a few friends we got drinks a few beverages in between i feel like that was just like the right way to decompress after you know 
becoming the destroyer of worlds and then you just go in and and then barbie just kind of felt like a party there was just people all in like my entire screening was just decked out in pink people were like super excited um there's even just like a lot of guys too and i was like good job guys you're not the you're not the people that you're not the guys that this movie is making fun of um it was just really fun it it's it is kind of one of those things where it's like when people are nostalgic and talk about like going to see jaws and theaters or some shit like that like and you're like all right like relax old person it's okay <laughs> um but in this situation it's like yeah it's pretty cool it's pretty cool to be in a, in a theater with a bunch of people and this feels like well we'll see when the next time that happens because you know there's nothing there's no movies being made currently so that's tough but um we won't <laughs> we won't talk about that too much for now <laughs> Do you remember that guy who saw Captain Marvel like 140 something times? Yeah, well, I, I want to be that for Barbenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what that guy's like taste is in movies if he's subjecting himself <laughs> to Captain Marvel that many times, which is that's just oof. That's a I wonder if he's going to do the Marvels next. Yeah, he sees that like double the amount of Captain yeah. Marvel. He's got to or three times because there's three of them, you know. Smart. Um yeah, I can't say we're going to be having a uh, Marvel's podcast in the future on this feed, but uh, <laughs> maybe just more Barbenheimer content. Um, but yeah, I feel like we all made the correct decision in doing Oppenheimer first, which I feel like means we have to segue into Oppenheimer as the first movie we talk about here, and then go to Barbie next. Um, but yeah, Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan, he's back. He's doing, I guess this is more of his Dunkirk um, realm of filmmaking where he's less I guess we would call it less high concept and more of just well it's still high concept but less of a action molds like something like Tenet or something like the Batman movies or things like that he's kind of getting more into his kind of grizzled historical stage of I guess great man filmmakers but um, I'll put it to you first Spencer what did you think of this movie uh, I'm going to refer a couple times in this podcast back to our most anticipated 2023 uh, podcast. Um, first, by saying that Oppenheimer did not, I don't think it made any of our lists uh, on that. I don't think any of us had it as one of our most anticipated movies of the year. I think all of us thought someone but, else would put it on their list, so yeah. none of us did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it was like the, go ahead. It was like top 15, but I don't think it cracked anybody's top 10. Right. Yeah, it was probably in all of our top 15s, but yeah, yeah. it was not top 10 for anyone. But our, Barbie was in all of our mm-hmm. top 10 most anticipated movies of the year. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is that I was like looking forward to this movie. Like I uh, I look forward to Christopher Nolan movies, you know, pretty, pretty like uh, consistently, I would I would say. Uh, this This one, though... I was kind of like a little baffled by it going into it uh, just because it didn't really seem like a movie that needed the IMAX experience. When like I saw the trailers, I was like, this seems like it's going to be a dialogue heavy, just people in rooms talking type of movie. Um, And I was definitely right about it being that type of a movie. Uh, But I've seen this movie twice now. I saw it once in standard format. I saw it again yesterday in IMAX and I'm going to be seeing it again in 70 millimeter. Uh, so I'll have seen this movie. Like that's a lot of movie. <laughs> yeah, It is a lot of movie. Uh, 
the standard was basically not my choice though i just like have major fomo and i was in a in a town where there was no imax screen uh but to add a little more to the preamble i'm kind of mixed on christopher nolan as a filmmaker like i always feel really impressed by his movies i always walk out like wow that's that was exciting and it's cool to see somebody working on this scale who is so clearly talented and has such a grasp of the visual medium but I really don't care for Interstellar uh the Dark Knight Rises I think is kind of a mess um yeah and like Tenet I liked but I didn't like love that movie uh and so I say all that to say I was blown away, no pun intended, by Oppenheimer. Um, It's my favorite movie of the year so far. And having seen it in IMAX, uh, I completely understand why he decided to tell this story in that format. Uh, The first time I watched it standard, I was really impressed by the structure of the movie and the editing of the film and how despite the fact that this is a long long movie that is driven by dialogue uh, it felt still pretty thrilling and exciting to me and the second time I watched it you know you're watching on a a screen that's multiple stories tall and so you really pick up on the nuances in the performances uh because so much of this movie is close-ups of people's faces and just like (laughs) that watching watching these small kind of nuanced reactions to things uh and so the second time i watched i was just completely blown away by the performances like every performance of this movie feels just incredible and so so well done and i i also find it impressive that it didn't feel like i had a friend who i was talking to uh and because we had friends go with us to barbie uh and we were talking and getting a drink and some dinner in between the movies and uh, she she said the word cameos with, the, with the, all the actors she's like do the cameos feel distracting and I almost like threw up in my mouth when she asked me that like I was like I, I the cameos is such a bizarre word to use when you're describing this film uh and it it impresses me that we have a filmmaker like Christopher Nolan who can get like multiple best actor winning actors and have them in one scene in this movie yep. or two scenes or whatever it just like is so it's like there were people who I didn't even realize were in this movie who just showed up all of a sudden and uh they all of them feel like they're not trying to steal the spotlight they feel very meat and potatoes we're gonna play just this character um and I on t- on top of all that I I kind of sometimes get frustrated when people use the word important when they talk about movies like oh this is an important film you know like uh yeah. but this this is an important movie um it feels like a movie that could have like influence especially with how big it's it's getting just by kind of starting a conversation with people about the subject matter of the film uh and yeah i had like i had like three panic attacks watching this movie um so yeah cinema it's it's great i love oppenheimer yeah cinema i guess we should say before we go in any further here that we won't be spoiling these movies so i guess for anybody listening that's your warning don't come to me if you are mad after this when we when we spoil something for you there's your there's your warning um yeah it's it's a really good movie i'll i'll, I'll, I'll turn to you first Colin, before i kind of get into my thoughts here 
yeah um you know I wasn't really expecting to like this as much as I did right it wasn't on my most anticipated list uh, but the closer and closer we got to this weekend I was like you know I'm really excited for this I knew that Oppenheimer was going to be big when my girlfriend was like yeah I'll watch that with you and she said no to like everything this year um like every like <laughs> quote-unquote like man movie like I had to basically drag her to Mission Impossible but she was like I'll watch Oppenheimer and I was like all right this might be something um <laughs> and so I ended up seeing it on the Dolby I want to catch it in 70 millimeter um unfortunately I don't have an IMAX near me which kind of sucks but oh. I do have 70 millimeter near me so I'm going to try and take advantage of that uh before it goes away but I think like watching this movie every like 10 minutes or so an actor you haven't seen in like five years shows up and gives the best performance you've ever seen them give um yep. like i really love alden ehrenreich making his his little comeback here um i think benny Safdie is actually really good in this movie. yes like, he my boy my favorite <laughs> favorite parts of this movie and it was so nice to see him go from kenobi where he plays like random guy number three to just being given you know out of all the supporting characters like he's He's pretty high up there in terms of his importance of the story. He's in Kenobi. Um, I mean, he is. Huh. Maybe I should watch that. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> this, Oppenheimer is so good of a movie. It may be interested in Josh Hartnett as a character. Like he's so good in I, this movie. He's so good. It's, he's a it's good insane. Actor. Sometimes. <laughs> the faculty. <laughs> The faculty. When I think of him, I think of Hollywood Homicide, which is just the worst movie ever. Um, but that's that's a that's a digression. Um, but yeah, like David Desmalchian's in here playing a weird little freak. Um, just <laughs> everyone is just giving such a good performance. And I think, you know, I'm also pretty lukewarm on Nolan most of the time. But this one I was like, no, I feel like genuinely moved by this movie. Um, like there's there's just so much to unpack but kind of like you said it, it moves along at a really like easily digestible pace like it it zips through a lot um but it's just it's so good it was it's one of the few things that i'm like i want to turn around and watch this again like i would do the barbenheimer double feature again like it was such a good time and i think oppenheimer is a big part of that and it was one that i was like i need to watch this again like not just to watch it again but like to unpack more and like really dissect all these things that make it amazing and like really latch on to all these different performances that are coming in and out of it. Yeah. It is one of the rare three hour movies that doesn't feel like it's three hours. Like it really does move. Um, and a lot of that is, is with, um, is thanks to Jennifer Lame, the editor and, and Ludwig Gordon's and score where they, they both just keep this movie going. And I'm kind of at the point with Jennifer Lame, like, you know, she did Tenet as well. She edited that, but she's like worked on, Marriage Story and Hereditary, and I think she worked on Manchester by the Sea too. But it kind of seems like she's like turning into a premier editor at this point. So it's kind of like anything that she does should be kind of appointment viewing, or it would probably be a really good, interesting movie. Um, yeah, same with you guys. I've kind of been off and on on Nolan for a while. I come to this as a guy who likes a lot of his uh, smaller stuff, a lot of his smaller scale movies. Um, I'd probably say The Prestige is my favorite movie of his. Um, but I've kind of struggled with 
why I don't like him for a really long time. I think part of it is just like the Nolanites or like the Nolan bros. They're just like the worst kind of film fan. Like they've seen two movies and they're like, actually interstellar or inception is the most genius thing ever. And I'm like, all right, relax, (laughs) relax guys, calm down. Um, so that's definitely part of it. Not going to lie there. Um, but I think I clicked in when I was watching Oppenheimer because I did, I, I think this is one of definitely one of his better movies. Um, and one of the ones I've really liked, but I've, I think he's always been, to me, he's always been an ideas guy, not an ideals guy. Um, and as the like the ideas get bigger and bigger, I feel like they subsume everything else that he's trying to do. Whereas, like, I don't really know what, like, its inception is about, necessarily, except if it's just about, like, a fun bit of set pieces. And I think Interstellar is the other side of that, where it's so hackneyed and trite and what it's trying to say about love transcending dimensions or whatever the fuck it's just it's just it just doesn't work love and he's is just not the fourth dimension that's man. right that's what it is yeah. gotta go through the love library oh. at the end um <laughs> so like i think as he gets bigger with a lot of his stories i i think it becomes more of a technical exercise for him and i struggle to see a way into it um and it's really like I think a part of it is too is like I don't know like not that I need to know but it's I struggle to figure out what like the politics of his movies are in a lot of ways like there's dark then the dark knight hinges on the idea that actually a big surveillance state is actually good because it will help me protect the city against the Joker and it's like huh interesting (laughs) interesting uh, little uh, conclusion you got there uh, Nolan Um, but I think this is one of the few times Oppenheimer where I think he has a genuine point of view that I think also aligns with his technical mastery in a way that I think is really, really impressive. Um, you know, there's still some other Nolan pitfalls where he just, you know, he just loves killing the women <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. He's got there's big mall energy in this movie, um, which we'll get to. Um, but uh, overall, I think it's like an amazing achievement. Um, I think achievement is probably the word that's been thrown around with this movie a lot, but I think it's definitely earned. It's really impressive. Um, I think it really like, it's like, like you said, some of the best acting we've seen from these people in a while. It's just, it's a really cool movie that really just kind of blows, blows the doors off you. It's just really bombastic, but also really quiet in moments. I thought it was really impressive. Um, But yeah, I think it's kind of tough to like, like, boil this down in this movie down into small parts because i feel like the score and like the editing kind of make it feel like one three hour long montage um but colin i'll point it to you first is there any kind of is there any moments that you wanted like that you loved that you wanted to speak about here um i'll start off with a really easy one the like the whole sequence where they're testing the atomic bomb is just yeah it's amazing chef's kiss like there's so much character peppered throughout that sequence as well because you know a lot of these scientists are only in for you know a scene or two a line or two um but like as you're getting into that like final moment where everybody's there you see so much about like who each of these individuals are as like as humans i'm thinking about like uh david crumholtz like turning around to look at it or like uh jack quaid like refusing to put on the uh, welding glass <laughs> yeah. he's got i love jack him. quaid in this movie he's great <laughs> he's great yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a big highlight for me. And like, weirdly enough, I think I was the most on the edge of my seat after the bomb part was over. Like, as you, mm-hmm. as you really get into, um, as you get into like 
the the movie's present where it's like getting into that trial actually happening rather than flashing back to it and it's where um because at least for me for the first uh part of the movie when it switches to black and white i'm like oh black and white is like the future and then there's a point probably like halfway to two-thirds of the way through where it's like clear that it's not timeline that changes the color it's like Mm -hmm. whose perspective it is and so like once you're fully in like the oppenheimer seat going through that trial i think that's where it it really grips me and i i listened to a uh, an interview that matt damon was talking about the script and he's like the script was written in first person and so i think having that understanding of that really reframes a lot of those earlier sequences in the movie as well like as you're going into that whole denial not a trial um, and I also think Jason Clark is just terrific in my guy. Fucking love everything that guy. he does. <laughs> he's the best. He's I, so good in this movie. He's just like I, throwing like a hundred. It's great. I have a conspiracy theory about his performance in this movie. I think he <laughs> Go on. studied. I think he studied Tucker Carlson footage to like play that role because there's like scenes where he's like laughing condescendingly at the people, and he looks almost exactly like Tucker Carlson when he does it i love it he is one of my favorite um character actors i love when he shows up he's just awesome he's just the best but yeah sorry colin um but yeah and i think it was in a lot of those sequences where i like i resonated with this movie a lot more than i thought i would because kind of like going back to your point nolan is a very technical person and his movies really feel like that like inception is 80% 80% exposition and like this is what we're doing here is where we're going to go next um and when you get to that still point in Oppenheimer where it's just character work at that point like they're not really accomplishing a physical thing anymore um it just hit so much closer to home than I thought it would be and there's there's a uh not to get too personal but there's a there's a sequence in the or there's a line at, towards the middle where Emily Blunt's like like, I'm tired of you, like, watching you get whipped because you're not standing up for yourself. And my girlfriend, like, looked at me and was like, she's just like me. <laughs> and it, it just really resonated with, like, a lot of what I've gone through over the past, like, year or so. Um, and I was like, damn, is is Christopher Nolan making me feel things? Yeah, it is one of the few times where he actually elicits emotion, which I thought was interesting. Um, other than the bizarre sex scene where Florence Pugh just stops midway to be like, hey, can you read this scripture to me? real quick (laughs) which is just insane behavior (laughs) um yeah it is really it's i think it really is impressive and i think a lot of it comes from the like like all the great performances like killian murphy is just unbelievable in this movie um he's kind of like he really toes the line between like you kind of don't know what he's thinking but also you kind of know everything he's thinking there's a i don't even know if that makes sense but there's like a weird he's kind of like a black hole in a way when you look into his eyes but also you can see like a lot of like emotion coming out of it i thought he was really really impressive but yeah the the trinity test is kind of to go back to that i think it might be the best thing nolan's ever filmed do you guys feel confident with that or do you have other preferences i think i think i'm the weirdo because i so obviously the trinity test is going to be a scene in the movie like it's like i went in knowing that oh i but during the trinity test the first time i saw the movie i was kind of like let's get back into small rooms talking about communism (laughs) and science like i literally was just uh, that's that's kind of catnip to me just like let's 
oh, a movie that is just people talking about politics and about things like at an atomic molecular level or whatever. Like all of that is just so much. It, I, I, I didn't, Nolan's dialogue usually is not something that I'm really impressed with. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why Oppenheimer wasn't really high on my list. And the yeah, the second time I saw it, the Trinity test, like in IMAX is unbelievable. Like I felt assaulted by the audio and the score <laughs> uh, in not in a way that I did when I watched Interstellar for the first time where it's like mm-hmm. the organs are clanging and like, I'm like, I can't understand a goddamn word anyway yeah it's yeah yeah but the the like the the flow of this scene like the rhythm of it and how it's like counting down and you you like forget that they're testing a bomb and my heart's like pounding and i'm yeah. just like i feel uncomfortable just because of the implications of what they're about to reek upon the world but also i i'm like just curious like they are that with the scientific angle of being like i just want to see what happens when this <laughs> when this goes down it's just it's it's a very thrilling scene and it's really really well executed so yeah. I, I i i wouldn't push back on that if you if you feel that way it's so interesting because it's like a lot longer than you think you realize like the lead up to it is like probably double the amount of time because they're like oh it's raining outside we have to wait let's push it to like 5.30 in the morning and they're all like talking, but like the score's like still going and like leading up to like the actual like bomb going off. Like, it's just, it's just really, really good. Like there was a moment where I was like, oh yeah, I need to breathe because I'm not currently. Same. <laughs> <laughs> like it was really, like it really worked me up. I think Ludwig Gorenson's score is like awesome in this movie. Um, I think like there's some moments I would say like, maybe like the earlier moments where like the score and the editing are like flying and you're like trying to get to know a young Oppenheimer. I would say it probably Mm -hmm. isn't as good of a fit for those moments, but in like a lot of the moments, like the, like the, the kangaroo court and the third act or like the Trinity test, like having those two things together and like, like whizzing by, it was just like, you're just like, you can't take your eyes off the screen. You're just like, Holy shit. Like this is like really moving. Um, and then, like the other cool part is just I thought it was so awesome that he that no one wait well, like you're all you have all this anticipation and then when it finally goes off it's silent for like what like 10 15 seconds yeah. and then the sound yeah. blows you back um that's one of the few times I would love to see like do, they, do those like 4dx theaters still exist because I feel like that would be a really cool way to see this movie like and you see that scene and you just get blown back by it and you're like oh shit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I literally for like those 10 seconds i was like he's literally about to do this entire scene without sound like it's just (laughs) i i i i should have known better i guess but one thing i'll say about that scene and then the scene not long after where he is giving the speech and it gets all quiet and then he's assaulted by sound again Mm -hmm. i it's watch it the second time i i like knew it was coming uh, but it still like almost threw me out of my chair both times just in in IMAX like it still really was effective even though I knew that that moment was coming so yeah yeah I love I love how I did that I think when like to to begin that sequence when that lady opens her mouth to like yell oppie or whatever and then you hear like the young child screaming I was like whoa like damn like it just it it kind of stops you in the same way that the sequence with the trinity test stops you like it's just it's powerful movie making not gonna lie 
yeah, he knows how to make a movie. That's for that's for damn sure. Um, yeah, I want to kind of go back to Spencer something you mentioned about how besides the Trinity test, like all of this movie is basically people in rooms talking about communism with, mm-hmm. and science, which, like we said at the top of this, the fact that that this movie made eighty million dollars and that is it's so crazy, crazy. <laughs> and two hours and forty minutes of it are people talking about the merits of communism. I think is just so fascinating and honestly like pretty cool like it's really cool to be able to have a movie like this with that actually has like ideas in it um be as big as it big big as it is um it's just it was really neat and i think it was really through that i thought it was really interesting in how it frames oppenheimer kind of in those like in those scenes because he's kind of framed as someone who's just like intellectually curious but never really yeah puts anything into action and i think that's like so i think i think this is like a really smart way of nolan kind of undercutting like the great man biopic of it all because we've seen so many kinds so many times that where there's the tortured male guy in history who has to create the thing to save the world and it's like you know his wife is just there and getting in the way and it's a whole it's just a tired formula at this point um but i think there's a few ways where i think the way that he kind of puts Oppenheimer into scenes I think are really interesting because he's he's kind of positioned as a man who is never interested in following through on his on his morality like he he really is he's a guy who is interested in communism but he doesn't come in all the way he doesn't really um he's more into the theoretical side of science and he's so focused on that side of it that he jumps to the idea of doing the Manhattan Project without ever thinking through, like, the chaos it would cause if they actually pulled this off. Like, he's not a dummy, but he's also... He's a guy who isn't... Doesn't have strong convictions. He's he's naive, definitely. Um, Which I really appreciate. I think it lets you play that... It plays that out so nicely throughout just the, like, organically through the scenes and how he interacts with people. Um, And he also... Something interestingly that I know I picked up on, he is never the guy to make the discovery. He either yeah. goes into the room after one of the people, someone else discovered it, because they're the people that can actually do the non-theoretical stuff. Uh, but he is—he's more of like a glorified project manager <laughs> in this movie, yes. which I thought was really fun. Um, so I think it—it's a really—I think this movie is really good in how it. Um, it does tip its cap to that stuff, but it is not. There isn't scenes where it's like Benny Safdie in his Hungarian accent is like, "You don't do anything around here," blah blah blah, kind of thing. I thought it was just a really nuanced look at someone who would be in that position and how he is only like he's has a lot to do with it, but he is one merely one cog in this machine. I thought it was really fascinating. Uh, not just like that. The movie is kind of you know showing how how the United States is so like, I guess uh, the, the influence of communism is such a threat throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's discussed a lot and how wrong that, how wrong that is. Uh, This is a movie that's like the USA is the bad guy. (laughs) Like At at the end (laughs) of the movie, there's, there's no, there's no uh, subtlety with the message. It's like, they're the bad guys they're the ones who basically fucked over the entire world by introducing this type of technology and then refuse to be transparent about it at every step of the way despite 
the word of people who were creating this this stuff and how untrustworthy our government is uh and and like it made 80 million dollars you know <laughs> it's, it's crazy like, it's just it's so crazy. it makes me so happy that a movie like that just got so many people's asses and seats and then just it's 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 a it's a lecture you know you you get out of the movie and you're just like it, the final shot of Killian Murphy's face, just like contemplating so our mm-hmm. doom. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's what it leaves you with. And that's what it wants you. It wants you to go and have that moment and just be the person laying in bed, thinking about the bomb and just being like, we are so the movie could just be called we're fucked. The movie. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's wonderful. I'm so happy. It, it's out. Just, what a wonderful message. I think it's, yeah really cool how it unpacks mccarthyism in that way without ever having to be like and here's a cameo from someone playing joseph mccarthy like i think i think the closest this ever gets to a cameo like is when they're like it's a senator from massachusetts that was that was his robin (laughs) moment (laughs) that's that's the one line i was like no please don't like yeah (laughs) but like the the way it uses strass and it uses those hearings to like really unpack a lot of like the deception going on there and and just like watching oppenheimer's naivete is he's like he he's adamant that like oh like oh yeah we should share our findings and like if i take this one major step then like everyone's gonna be like wow this is dangerous and then back off and it's it's fun watching like the wool get pulled or like get pulled from his eyes as the like after the trinity test and the bomb goes off and they're dropped and i think that scene with truman is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's kind kind of like you have oppenheimer's work for the government yeah has been kind of like troubled with the security clearance and everything but he mostly like he's having fun with graves like he's he thinks he's like in on what's going on and then they're like you know, I, I think the turning point for him in the movie is when he realizes that, like, he's not being clued in on when the bombs are getting dropped. Um, and then going into that that scene with Truman. And I think for me, that's like the first time I've ever seen Truman painted in not a positive light. Um, and I kudos to this movie to number one, not showing the bombs being dropped in Japan in the first place, but also being yeah. the first movie to like question it that I can think of. Because like, you know, there's there's plenty of bombs or bad movies um but like most movies that deal with this subject matter and i think a lot of people expected this movie to be like hell yeah we're gonna watch the b29 fly over and everyone's gonna get incinerated and like like i've i think a lot of people expected this to have like that scene from the wolverine where he's surviving the nuke come into play um (laughs) but i i really appreciated like it it looking at the person who drops the bomb or like who orders the bomb to be dropped and looking at the United States's role in really just shattering like the fabric of the world in that decision um, is real powerful stuff. And that's before you get into like Oppenheimer's depression spiral for the last hour of the movie. Yeah. It's rough. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I, I love how the movie, um, it questions kind of systems of power in a really interesting way where there's other, the other, the other piece where Oppenheimer wants to give to the Spanish refugees because they're, they're dealing with their civil war, but he, he never questions like the actual system that 
caused those refugees. He's just like, I want to help those people out. Like he's, he's very much just like a, like a cog in like the machine, as I mentioned before. And you have Truman is like the Truman scene with shout out to Gary Oldman, just in his old man. I'm going to wear makeup in every movie <laughs> yeah. phase. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> Gary Oldman is one Stalin appearance away from having played all of Pops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny i lo- i didn't even know he was in this movie so that was really that was really fun i didn't know him or casey affleck were in this movie so both of those were like oh they're they're in this movie that's cool um but yeah even he like that scene with truman where he's like nobody cares about you i'm the one who's actually dropping the bomb um so you kind of get that perspective as well and i thought it was just really really well done um but i kind of want to get back to Someone we haven't really talked about yet, which is uh, Rob Downey Jr. as um, Strauss, and he is just fucking incredible in this movie. He is really good. He's so good. Um, so Sean Coates wrote the review for Oppenheimer for the site, and in his review he said, Welcome back to real movies, Robert Downey Jr., which could not be more true. Um, like, it's just... And I could- real- Sorry, go ahead. And I cut in. So during the press cycle of this movie, Robert Downey Jr. has been just gushing over Killian Murphy and how He's been great. extraordinary of an actor. Yeah, he is. And it's like, yeah, it, I, I can't help but just think of him like being in an actual real room on a movie for once, like working <laughs> with real actors and not in front of just some cold studio, green screen, like blue screen hellscape. And yeah, it's it it it's awesome to see Robert Downey Jr. in a movie like that actually utilizes his talents in interesting ways, and his his performances is elevated by other performances and vice versa. Uh, I just thought that that was I think it's funny to see how he's just like, oh my god, this is the best movie I've ever been a part of, but he's yeah. been in this vacuum for like. 20 years basically it's, it's like what you like guys are using sets man. what is this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i get to see my surroundings this is crazy yeah he i'm very excited for whatever this next stage is of downey because he looks like he's interested and in, i mean he's got all the money in the world now from iron man and he looks like he's just like i'm gonna be in really interesting movies from here on out like he's in the is it he's looking up he's in the Park Chan Wook uh limited series that's coming out next year, Ooh. I believe. Um he's in that and I think he's in the in the new um Adam McKay movie that's coming out um as well. Oh. Um <laughs> which to be fair, that's a, that's the fair response, but the I I like the synopsis of it. It sounds kind of fun. Um so we'll see how that goes. But he seems like he is very invested in just doing real real projects which is great <laughs> it's just really it's really nice because he's just such an awesome performer and when was the last time i guess the first iron man he's actually giving a real performance in that movie because that movie's definitely a lot scrappier because they didn't know what they were doing at that point um but that's 2008 so it's just you know it's 15 years he actually is in a real movie and has a real meaty part it's just like it's just great to it's really nice to see him just be awesome in a movie again hey i think he was playing a real character until iron man three <laughs> that's probably fair once once paramount left then it became like actually i really like iron man three so i'll say after iron man three because we got shane black doing shane black stuff in that movie it takes place at christmas iron man three is great that's my take you had the red bull stunt divers it was like real <laughs> movies one more person 
I want to give a shout out to that I think is going to go underappreciated. Sorry to hijack the Marvel discussion. <laughs> that's okay. Hijack uh, away, please. Kevin yeah. Feige, that's the person. Yeah. <laughs> that was no, weird when he uh, showed up in this movie. So, I mean, Oppenheimer is most certainly a dad movie. Oh, uh, absolutely. And the king of the dad movies, Matt Damon, yes. is in this movie. <laughs> and I... I just freaking love Matt Damon, you guys. Like he's <laughs> he's so good in this role. Like he adds Amazing. kind of the the comedic kind of elements that are like subtly realistically comedic, but he's also just like a giant asshole to everybody and he's he's fucking pissed off all the time. Just seems like he's ready to scream at scientists at any given moment. I just thought he was he's great in this movie and his final scene at the deposition is just like this really great like oh he he basically throws oppenheimer's ass under the bus <laughs> and then smiles at him as he leaves but it's like this touching like nice moment between the <laughs> two of them and i love how it's like kind of he's just such a good good presence in this movie he really is so the first 20 ish minutes for me were a little wonky if i'll be honest like i wasn't really kind of I the the young Oppenheimer stuff didn't entirely work for me I enjoyed when Brana came in as Niels Bohr and it was just like hamming it up it was really good um but like it just wasn't wasn't working for me I think a lot of that has to do with it's trying to be really personal and individual individualized and I think the score and the editing kind of don't lend it lend to that so it feels like uh, it just didn't just didn't work for me but as soon as Matt Damon shows up and they have their really good witty back and forth in the lab i was like oh i'm in like because like i'm the same way with, with matt damon where he's like he is kind of getting into this mode of his career where he's he's in his 50s he kind of just wants to be in good projects he doesn't care about necessarily being the lead anymore um so him just showing up and being like your third lead or whatever is just awesome like he's just the best and he, he knows exactly the kind of presence to bring because everything around him is so heavy and he just gets to be like the like the asshole general who gets to boss everybody around and he knows how to have fun with that. And that was just, it's just great. Matt Damon is a treasure. Love that man. He is. He's really great. Really, really great. Um, Is there any other performances we want to shout out here? I know there's like literally all of Hollywood is in this movie. Um, Yeah. yeah, I could just keep going. (laughs) I mentioned David Krumholtz briefly, but I loved him in this movie. He's great. He's really good. Um, Just always offering oppie food. Just what a guy. (laughs) <laughs> for some reason i also thought jesse Plemons was in this movie and i i know that in the back of my mind i was just confusing it with the massive cast of killers of the flower moon and it got to be the end of the three hours and i was like why didn't i see him like did i miss him uh yes. but no yeah i think like i mentioned it earlier but like everybody in this movie i think is giving something that could contend for the best performance they've given like everyone is just like and I, I think it's a lot of it has to do with just how much t- talent you have that can interact off of each other and you know most characters are only going to share one or two scenes but everyone is just giving the best performance you've seen them give in quite a while yeah and you have dane dehan in here coming back him and josh hartnett with their own little mini comebacks i was when i was watching Hart, hartnett i was he was like he he, he looks a lot like aaron sorkin in this movie and I couldn't get it out of my head <laughs> it really bothered yeah. me but he's great thanks um, for that <laughs> you see it don't you he's got like the quaffed blonde hair of, and the little I can kind of see it yeah. 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 yeah um 
yeah, there's like you have like Matthew Modine isn't just in here randomly. Um, Emily Blunt's great. I loved her in this. Yeah, I guess that's a good, maybe a good segue into things that didn't necessarily work for me. Um, Emily Blunt's great. She's like one of the best actresses we have. I just think that Nolan doesn't know how to write female characters. So that's kind of where I kind of lend my, like, what are my negatives to this movie? It's just like, you know, the whole Florence Pugh thing subplot is just bizarre to me um classic mall energy and then i think emily blunt is kind of the wife character which i think she has her scene at the end where she gets to make fun of jason clark his pronunciation which is great um i don't know how you guys feel about either of those two characters but personally for me um those were probably the weaker points just because i don't think he knows how to write female characters as well as he likes to write about them bros who love science so yeah i agree he's not as good (laughs) at writing women as he is most of the time i definitely agree with that uh but no i i love like one of my favorite moments in the movie is the handshake rejection at the end of the movie that's a good scene that that was such a good Mm -hmm. moment and it's like she's she's just great in the movie like i get her character is is underserved but it's like i don't know she she's very much a side character just like all of the other characters other than Oppenheimer and kind of you know Louis Strauss are so yeah I kind of give it a slight pass for it yeah Florence Pugh I would kind of maybe agree with you (laughs) I think that she was not it it felt kind of like you had to put it in there but Christopher Nolan really he was just kind of like those scenes were okay yeah yeah it happened that's for sure <laughs> it never felt like she had much more development than don't give me flowers yeah um which was a nice runner but doesn't really lend itself to a, a full character um i know zach braff was screaming in that scene with them on the chair <laughs> <laughs> it's the breaking bad meme with uh walter Wright just screaming out the window <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh that's amazing um oppenheimer it's you know it's a really good movie um i know awards don't really matter but i guess this movie will probably win a lot of awards come the fall or i guess next spring whenever the fuck the oscars are now um yeah i actually have one more i have one more kind of go ahead okay uh there was a trailer for exorcist believer in front of this movie yeah and it made me wish that the chain reaction had happened and the atmosphere was ignited and the world was destroyed back in those days so i never would have had to sit through it yeah what i don't know why they did where they're doing that i guess you know sorry to hijack the podcast everything comes back eventually so we have to deal with another exorcist movie at some point because they haven't made one in a while um colin do you have any exorcist thoughts uh, not really. I can't wait for the Oppenheimer <laughs> reboot <laughs> in 20 yeah. years, the the requel. That'd be great. That'd be really good. Just it's the other half of his like like when he's just like not doing science stuff. It's just him reading a newspaper. It's like a coming of age movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the like the, the coming of like the final act is like this like victorious like oh he dropped the bomb he became something and it's like oh no oh no <laughs> he's like a five year old he's like all I ever all I wanted to do was drop bombs. <laughs> My God he'll get his chance someday. Um, yeah I think that's about time where we move on to Barbie and, and this nonsense. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, with the second half of this double feature, Barbie, 
one of our most anticipated movies of the year. Greta Gerwig's third movie. Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, a bunch of other people also named Barbie and Ken. Um, Colin, I'll put it to you first. What are your thoughts on Barbie? So, yeah, this is one that was in all of our most anticipated lists. Um, And I think that's pretty much solely due to Greta Gerwig's involvement. Yeah. Um, I think had anyone else's name been attached to this, I would not have been nearly as interested. Um, But I think like that, that scene in little women where Bob Odenkirk comes in is just like one of the happiest, just like purely emotional moments to have ever existed. And so I was like, if you can even bring an ounce of that to Barbie, it's going to be great. Um, So I was, I was all on board. Um, I mean, the cast was was phenomenal like kind of like Oppenheimer everyone's kind of in this movie which is pretty cool um but yeah it just looked like a good time um it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. I love like how into it people were um whereas I, I think Oppenheimer got more attention because of the whole Bar- Barbenheimer thing because you know Barbie's a little bit more recognizable than J. Robert Oppenheimer a little um bit. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, it's it's nice to see this like spiral into this massive cultural event. Like I I don't think based on the top performers at the box office the the past few years anybody would have expected Barbie to be like a serious contender. And it makes me think of like the 90s where you could have something like oh like Men in Black is the highest grossing movie of the summer like which was, you know, the original was its own thing or like like in 1988 who framed roger rabbit was the highest grossing movie of the summer like you don't expect movies like that to be able to be these big massive things and compete with the tent poles uh but in a world where we're watching indiana jones flounder barbie is just destroying everything in its path which is pretty cool to watch yeah i had a lot of fun with this movie um certainly not perfect i'd say of the three greg Rick movies it's probably my least favorite but you know Lady Bird and little women are probably two of the best movies of the last decade so that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of tough uh, to beat those two um but yeah i had a lot of fun with this movie it's definitely it's a little shaggier it's not as like structurally it's not as coherent as those two movies um but it's really really fun um i was just kind of excited to just to see a big studio comedy again um like it dawned on me like in the middle of this where it's like my brain just isn't used to just like watching big comedies in theaters anymore because they just like don't come out anymore. I still had a chance to see No Hard Feelings. I need to fix that, but maybe that would have been a good primer. Um, but it's like we just don't get a lot of these movies, like just big, like just big broad funny movies. Like I was like, you see Will Ferrell as the Mattel CEO character, and he's just really funny. And it's like, oh yeah, Will Ferrell hasn't been able to be funny in a movie in like ten years because there hasn't been really movies for him to do that in like. Probably his last funny movie was like what the other guys, maybe, and that was like 2010. And there just really hasn't been a like the material for like people like him to be silly, Um, especially like Ryan Gosling too. Like Ryan Gosling, I think is one of our best underrated comedic talents, and him being able to be just hilarious as Ken in this movie is just wonderful. And yeah, we get to see that side of him again. Um, So yeah, I think this movie is just really, really fun, really silly. Um, I kind of love what everybody's doing in this movie. I think Margot Robbie, I think, is... I think Ken, 
or Ryan Gosling as Ken is like everybody's like oh he's stealing the show but I think Margot Robbie is so good in this movie I don't think she generally gets enough credit for how good of an actress she is because I think you know she's really beautiful and I think people focus on that but she is such a good almost like cartoonish actor she's a really good at playing like a cartoon character you know like you have like the Suicide Squad or she's like she's going for it in Babylon like oh, yeah. she has all she has a lot of these movies where she could just goes for it and is just really expressive and fun I think it's a perfect match for Barbie but yeah I just had a lot of I just this movie's just a blast it was really fun to see this in a big theater with people laughing at all the jokes um, so I had a really good time with it but Spencer how about how about you what are your what are your opening thoughts here uh I love this movie I thought it was a blast um you used a word that I actually would use to describe this. It's broad. Uh, it's a broad studio comedy. Um, so I agree with you. Of the three Greta Gerwig joints, it's probably my least favorite. But I still had a great time with it. Yeah. Um, I laughed more in this movie than I have in any movie in a really long time. Like it's Me just too. consistently the yep. the jokes per minute are just on on point. Uh, and some really, really big laughs in the movie. Like, the script is really sharp and smart. Um, everything with Barbie Land, I thought, was incredibly clever. It reminded me a lot of the Lego movie. Like, the way that yeah. it it uses, oh, there's some really, like, wonky movements that Barbies make when you're playing with them. And the movie kind of uh, complements that in Barbie Land, especially in the first act. Uh, but it does throughout the movie in Barbie Land, which I thought was really fun and just hilarious. And uh, I think the the like thing that this movie shows how talented of an of an director uh, and filmmaker Greta Gerwig is is she somehow makes Kate McKinnon like so funny in this movie. <laughs> she like is perfectly able to wrangle her energy into something that's really just hilarious and and off-putting and kind of disturbing but just <laughs> it, it's such splits. a fun yeah it's <laughs> such a fun like gag like the physical comedy there all of that and yeah ryan gosling's great in the movie but i really think that uh like you said it's margot robbie's big show like in the movie she's also very funny and she uh th there's like this great uh you know feminist message in the movie which i totally expected from greta gerwig there's actually points where i think the movie could have gone farther with its yep. interrogation of especially the legacy of barbie mm -hmm. um on the real world i think the movie could have went farther in that direction but for a broad studio comedy we don't really see too often something that is having conversations of this kind i think it's really positive to have a movie like this out there for for little girls uh and even for older girls or for men to watch and yeah. go see and like to, it, it talks about our world and the patriarchy and these kind of big concepts about how uh capitalism is structured and how it's like so inherently flawed in these structures and how it might be something that is like really really almost even um undoable to to break down these structures and you just have to exist in them and figure out who you are and i think that that's a really great positive interesting interesting message that the movie has so uh, it was it was great i i'm a greta gerwig uh 
member of the Greta Gerwig cult, I suppose. Like, I, I think she's just incredible. And yeah, it's it's cool to see her tackle something this big. Uh, we I don't think we've really touched re- yet on the the production design, which has yeah. been touched on a lot. It's awesome. It's incredible. Like it's awards worthy. Um, Barbie Land is just such a colorful, vibrant, fun place to be. Uh, and that's kind of like the the contrast of the two movies. Once again, it's just like so. It's you can tell she is really influenced by um, by classic hollywood yeah uh, the golden age of hollywood and i think that it's it has such a unique visual style and so it it really impressed me on that level yeah there's a lot of like jacques demy movies um i mean you have the i'm just ken scene which literally just looks (laughs) like the like the gene kelly sid charisse like long like wavy robe dance and singing in the rain like he's he's in black and they're like in this like pink soundscape like it looks exactly the same um so it's like oh yeah like she's like pulling from like all of like these great movies it's like you're right like it is it is amazing to have a barbie movie that has so many intentional like references to like amazing movies like that and also has like actually interesting ideas about things like who would have thought <laughs> you know like i mean as soon as i think that's why we all were excited because we know greta gerwig and she's wanted to do that kind of thing and this movie is very much a greta gerwig movie where it's trying to figure out your identity all these ideas of womanhood um trying to find your place in the world like all of these like little women Lady Bird, and barbie are all very much of a piece in that way and so it's really cool to um kind of see that um in like this very corporate driven movie um which is you know it's great to just see those personal touches um so yeah i really appreciate that and like you said like this movie is just really funny like i think we could be on this podcast for forever just talking about all the the gags i love the the mojo dojo casa house it's like really (laughs) Mm -hmm. really great um just uh ken's ken's occupation being beach is just really yeah. it's, it's just wonderful <laughs> the snyder cut joke yeah, yeah the snyder cut so joke was incredible yeah, yeah. and then like, the godfather joke too yeah and, the, those were so good and what's their and then they're all singing the matchbox, matchbox 20 song with their yeah guitar. <laughs> it's really really funny um i just it just made me laugh really hard i laughed probably a little too hard at the justice league joke like my my wife like turned over to me. She's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, yeah, yeah. "It's just, it's really good. Same. Don't worry about it." <laughs> yeah, you didn't, you you didn't have to sit through the cinematic whatever the fuck four hours that is the Zack Snyder <laughs> Justice League. So good for you. I'm happy that yeah. joke didn't land. Is well, good for you. <laughs> this is the first movie in the in a while that was like a laugh out loud theater experience. Like you know, I saw No Hard Feelings like a month ago, and that got like nose breathing you know that kind of laughing but <laughs> yeah. barbie barbie i was dying in a way that i haven't died since like everything everywhere all at once um but just like it, it was just so funny and it, it reminds me a lot of older comedies where it's like a bunch of stars coming together um you know something that's like a what's up doc or it's a mad mad world yeah i think i forgot a mad in there uh yeah mad 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 forgot you forgot (laughs) 10 of them (laughs) um but where you you have all these stars you have directors who are going to be more uh you know 
not like oh here's a random guy who can point a camera but like this is a real director like you know peter bogdanovich is is a real guy who makes movies um and so it, it reminded me that like there's a lot of art to that older style of comedy rather than just here's a bunch of funny things we wrote down on paper and i think kind of like you said the the set design and the way they like play with the barbie world are, are a lot of that um i also really like how my biggest fear with this movie from the trailers was that it was going to be like i don't know like a tom and jerry or a smurfs or whatever where they're like oh we take them from this cool imaginative world and we just put mm-hmm. them in like chicago um and they <laughs> Century they, they did that for so little of this movie and it was so refreshing like they don't care about the real world at all like they're there for so little of the movie they're going back to the barbie land or barbie world and just like living it up with this fantastical world and i think that was one of the best decisions they made with this movie was like doubling down on the like the nature of barbies and like spending time in that world rather than trying to do like a fish out of water in ours yeah i thought it was really funny how i think a lot of other movies would make like the mattel stuff like that would be the driving like plot like thrust of the plot Mm -hmm. um and this movie is like entirely uninterested with it it's like oh yeah they're there don't worry about it like if like by the third act it's kind of like you forget about that the mattel people are even in barbie land and it's like oh yeah they're just here it doesn't matter like they're just kind of part of the story and i love like how they like yada yada like how they get from barbie land to the real world and they're like like yeah just do it in reverse and you get back and it's like wait what is what is this like portal and they're like ah don't worry about that it's not important and um i just think it's just really like like it really does have like there are like you're right calm where there are like there are a lot of those movies where cartoon characters or whatever go to the real world and the entire movie is like whoa i'm in i'm tom and i'm in new york and this is crazy um i just remind just... that to a student well that well that happened the tom and jerry movie yeah. that came out a couple years ago i'm reminded american of pickle um the american pickle i actually kind of like that movie well wow, that was a blast <laughs> i haven't thought about that movie in a while um i'm reminded of the beginning of tom and jerry where a pigeon breaks the fourth wall and starts singing can i kick it um and it's just the worst <laughs> that's the first 15 minutes or 15 seconds of the movie and it's just the worst thing ever um so i'm gonna move on from that uh (laughs) but yeah i just i think this movie is really it knows what you are interested in as an audience member and it's like don't worry about this like we're gonna move on here is um more here's more jokes and i just love how detailed it is like one of my fun one of my favorite little details in this movie is when they go back to barbie land and it's turned into ken dome land or whatever whatever it is um, everything's all uh, douchey and frat bro, and uh, Simu Liu's Ken just has like a like a he has the uh, the chin strap beard, and nobody <laughs> ever nobody ever remarks upon it like it just exists now. Yeah, it's part of his character. It's really, it's really funny. I just there's a bunch of stuff like that that I'm sure I'd catch more of it if there if you like you watch this a bunch more times. But it's just it's really. It's it's a good example of a movie that just because it's silly doesn't mean it's not really thought over. Like there are a lot of ideas and like the jokes are really well thought out as well. There's a lot of just there's a lot of physical humor. There's a lot of good humor just in the production design as well. Like it's really well thought out, which I really I think I really admire. And I think people might discount that a little bit just because it's a comedy. But I hope 
we don't say that here because I think it's just really well thought out and funny. Yeah, when's Greta Gerwig gonna do a GI Joe movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's I mean, doing Ken she's West doing Chronicles of Narnia next, yeah. right, for Netflix? Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. I didn't know about that till recently. Well, I if, she, if she gets the bag, that's fine with me. <laughs> um, I even really liked because kind of tying into that. Oh, like let's put them in the real world. A lot of these kinds of movies would also make the main characters like America Ferrera and the daughter. And mm-hmm. I also really like that ultimately that like they kind of set it up so that you're like, oh, Barbie's going to like be in the real world. And through the magic of like being Barbie, the mother and daughter will reconnect. Um, <laughs> and I like that that's <laughs> such a subtle thing in this movie. Like they basically don't deal with that relationship at all. They're basically a unit for most of the movie. Yep. Um, and I, I like that the focus of the Barbie movie is still the Barbies um, mm-hmm. and in particular Margot Margot Robbie's Barbie rather than being like oh let's let's double down on this real world drama because we need you know we need these more emotional stakes that it, it helps this movie feel a lot fresher um that it probably should have been and probably a lot fresher than Mattel wanted it to be when they were like we should cash in on this this IP that we've got sitting around <laughs> well we're gonna have our Hot Wheels movie coming out soon like let me tell you it's gonna happen it's gonna I'm, happen. I'm just waiting for a studio to be like, "Oh, Barbie was a hit. We're gonna make Bratz and Cabbage Patch Kids. Those are gonna." <laughs> that be will definitely thing. happen. It'll be like Lionsgate producing it or something, like one of like a slightly lesser <laughs> company. <laughs> I was just gonna say that's what the horrifying implications of Barbenheimer is. Is what inconceivable lessons are the studios going to take from this that are just the completely wrong things like colin's right we're we're definitely in a brats movie like it's happening Polly pockets movie like all, all that then they just have no understanding of of what what makes it like actually work which i think is you know barbie's kind of about that too with all the yeah will ferrell mattel subplot so yeah do you do you guys have a favorite moment that you wanted to mention from the movie that we haven't mentioned already? I think one of my favorite jokes is where Ken kind of becomes self-actualized and Will Ferrell's <laughs> like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> and the guy just shows them a chart and he's like, this is how much money we're going to make. And then he's like, yeah, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite part of the, I do like how, like the the Mattel stuff, it's like it's it almost seems like they're forgetting about them. Like the script isn't like accounting for them anymore. But it's actually just like, oh, these people are dumb, and they're just gonna what it's gonna resolve the whatever is gonna the plot's gonna resolve itself, and they're gonna figure out the way to make money off of it. Which I just thought was really funny. <laughs> it was just really really funny. Will Ferrell was really good in this movie. It was really good to see him have actual material again. It made me happy. Uh, I think that the funniest recurring joke to me was just how obsessed Ken was with horses. Like he turns the Mount Rushmore <laughs> of Barbie land into horses. Like when he, when he becomes like emperor of kingdom or whatever, like it's just, it's, uh, I love how he views that as like the ultimate sign of masculinity, uh, which is just hilarious. So I love great. how at the end he's like, Yeah, I wasn't interested in the whole patriarchy thing when I learned it wasn't just about horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved when 
he first learns about the patriarchy and he sees people lifting and high-fiving each other and then there's like a Rocky poster and then a big flash yeah. of like Bill Clinton on a big like on a big screen <laughs> somewhere. It's really funny. I just laughed really, really hard. It was really he's, good. He's wearing Rocky's fur coat like when he gets into the gets back to Barbie Land in the uh-huh. next scene. <laughs> the stuff about to I know we mentioned it earlier, but like when they're like, you've never seen The Godfather? And it's like, well, I've definitely done that in my life. So here we <laughs> <Yeah>. are. <laughs> yeah, really, there were points there really where good. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> this movie's making fun of me. But it was, yeah, like, the, the, uh, the, like, we, the, I, I, to kind of go outside of Barbie into the conversation around Barbie, the other day I was, like, scrolling through YouTube and I saw, like, a, a Jeremy John's like Barbie review uh, oh God. thumbnail, and I was like, I, "We we live in hell. <laughs> it's just the worst." Yeah, I was like, "I'm not watching this. You couldn't pay me to watch this." And so, uh, it it feels like there's like a self aware element to this movie about the yeah, kind of the the stupid shit men do that just is so <laughs> specific and pointed. I loved it. I had so, when. America Ferrera is doing her long her long speech. I just had it an image of like somebody who religiously watches Tucker Carlson, just like steam coming out of their ears. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just like furious, like oh, I can't wait to type something up when I get home or do this five hour takedown of this movie. And I'm like, it's just it's really it's yeah. really really funny. <laughs> there's there's like the Ben Shapiro uh, picture that's circulating around Twitter where he just has multiple pages of notes and he's standing by the Barbie poster. And it's just like, oh my God. Like please no. <laughs> please God. Yeah, see yeah. that's why um I'm just not on the former the artist formerly known as Twitter anymore. So you just don't have to deal with that. And it's great. Yeah. And I get to get the I just get to enjoy this movie and it's just wonderful. <laughs> how have we gotten this far into this movie's discussion and we haven't talked about michael Sarah as alan yet oh he's so good dude <laughs> alan he's what's, what's the line where he's like i'm never going to escape this hell or whatever he says <laughs> <laughs> it's really really good he's really funny in this movie it's just, it's the first time again too where he's kind of was the last, I guess what was he was like in that gloria bell movie that came out a few years ago i'm trying to think what was the last movie i saw him in that was a poll, wasn't that it? That was a deep cut. <laughs> it was like, he was in that? I watched that, but I do not remember him in it. Uh, it's in Molly's game. Oh, yeah. That's true. Well, that was before... I don't know, whatever. The point is, he's great in this movie, and it's nice he to is. see him. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any great other great gags. I just kind of love everything Ryan Gosling is doing. He's got his weird twitchy energy, and he's bringing it into Ken, and it's just it's really good. It's Ken, and he's the sweater at the end where he's like, I'm Knuff. It's really, it's really, it's really, really funny. I just, it's just, this entire podcast could just be like, remember that scene? That was good. Yeah. I I laughed a lot at that. Pregnant Barbie. Yeah, Pregnant Barbie's good. Pregnant Barbie. That's the director of Promising (laughs) Young Woman, too. Yeah, Emerald Fennell. It's just just crazy. Yeah. I was surprised by how many pot shots they allowed this movie to take at Mattel and at Barbie like as a whole like with making fun of like pregnant Barbie and that that one sequence where they're just pulling out all the like failed Barbie ideas or the fact that Rhea Perlman's character mentions like 
the tax fraud of Barbie's first CEO several times. <laughs> I I think this movie like elevated my appreciation of Ryan Gosling in a way that I didn't expect. Like mm-hmm. I like Ryan Gosling, but this was the first time where like he, he got to like a Jake Gyllenhaal level for me where it was like, I will watch him do anything. Like, I don't care what it is. <laughs> I just know that he's going to do something entertaining. Yeah, he is, like I said, he is really funny. And I wish more movies would let him do that. Like, So it's just like, he seems like he's kind of in a, not in like a get the, get the bag zone, but he's like, you know, he's in The Gray Man, he's in Barbie, he's, I think he's in the new David Leach movie that's coming out next year, or maybe not next year anymore because of the strike and everything. But um, mm-hmm. it seems like he's kind of coming back into like, bigger movies where he's like the center of the frame so i'm like oh, this is great it's he's just a fun like you have all of you like your marvel people like your your chris evans's and hemsworth's and but he's just he does have a different energy than those people and i just like seeing him and he's just i think he's just a really good screen partner i think people forgot that he can sing yeah he's like <laughs> this man was in la la land like he's he's not a stranger to music but everyone's like wow like i had no idea when he started singing i was like come on guys like yeah mickey mouse clubhouse what, what was the was that did he sing in that too um probably <laughs> yeah he's um i think i'm just catting that whole sequence is just my favorite part i think that's like the normie pick but it's just it's just so good and it's like five minutes long and then it's intersp- intercut with the big fight on the beach where he's like giving people titty twisters. Oh, um, yeah. It's just, so and bad. him and Simu Lu have like the sparkle fight where they're just like gyrating each other and sparkles are coming <laughs> out of it. It's just really, it's just, you know, this movie made me smile. It was really funny. <laughs> Before we head out of here, we thought, because, you know, the whole Barbenheimer thing is just a wonderful craze that. I think just everybody is really enjoying. So we thought, or mostly I thought, because I was the one who came up with the whole rundown here. Um, But we thought it would be fun if we would uh, just pair both of these movies individually with another movie and then recreate double features with those two movies. So we'll start first with Oppenheimer, and I'll kick it to Spencer first. What's a good movie that you would pair with Oppenheimer? So I did one... Ernest pick which is the Oppenheimer one and then I did one kind of out there pick which is the Barbie one uh so Oppenheimer um I think a great double feature with Oppenheimer would be Hayao Miyazaki's The Wind Rises um did not see this coming (laughs) stylistically yeah it's it's uh we could not be more different it's obviously an animated movie uh but it is about a man whose creation uh, wreaks uh, destruction upon society. And uh, I think in a really interesting way, you have two auteurs who are making movies that are about uh, a very complex historical figure who, uh, and it lets them be complex. It's a really challenging experience, just like Oppenheimer is. So uh, that's, that's my double feature with Oppenheimer. I like it. I like it. Colin, what's your pick? Yeah, I uh, I thought a lot, like, when it came to Barbie, I had my answer, like, right away, and I, like, shuffled through several movies trying to come up with an Oppenheimer one. Uh, so I thought about, like, Grave of the Fireflies or even First Man for another 
sad boy science movie. Uh, but ultimately, uh, and uh, Brennan, friend of the pod, will appreciate this. I decided on Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, oh, he's, is... out the, he's out there fist bumping somewhere. That is so awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Um, it's the only one besides the original of like the original five that I'll watch whenever I do like an apes rewatch. Um, it's my favorite one of the originals. It's <laughs> I love it. It's so like out there original in terms of like what that pen pentilogy is that how you say it becomes. Sounds great. But, like, You're doing great. The, the uh the humans in that movie are a bunch of these like bomb worshiping zealots and they all have psychic <laughs> powers yeah and they like it's they like... literally worship the bomb itself um and it's great like it's it's got a much different uh feel than oppenheimer but uh similar message you know get a new and kind of a similar ending too yeah. <laughs> like, they both end very similarly <laughs> uh it's so Charlton heston only God. agreed to do that movie because a they would let him die and b they would let him blow up the entire planet <laughs> so he wouldn't have to do more sequels so he's got he, he has huge uh daniel craig bond energy where it's like god damn it i'll kill myself if i'm doing another one of these <laughs> but after after only one movie yeah it's like but then he's the like oh one, you're gonna pay me 50 million dollars yeah. to do no yeah. time to die okay i'll come back <laughs> and then i'll die uh, i guess spoilers for no time to die sorry <laughs> for anybody listening um yeah my pick i think is a pretty easy one but i went with jfk which funny enough Spencer and I were watching it individually at the exact same time yeah. the other night. We did not talk Without about it beforehand. Without consulting each other, yeah. It's just very bizarre. That's um, the real conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, you know, you know, Oppenheimer and JFK, both really historically accurate movies. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I think I, when I was watching this time, I think I realized that I had never fully seen it all the way through. I mean, it's one of those movies where there's just so many great individual scenes that you kind of pop in and it's also longer than Oppenheimer. So it's a long movie. Um, that's a so long you, double feature. That's, is what I was that's like 15 hours of movies right there. <laughs> um, but I think they're both stylistically like so similar in that the editing and the scores of each just are so propulsive. And like you have John Williams's score in JFK, which is just unbelievable. And especially in the courtroom scene at the end, it's just so good. Um, both movies just like fly by and are so like like weirdly like like unbelievably entertaining even though they're like both about like the soul of a country <laughs> in a lot of ways um, and you know the guy at the end of it is shunned by his government in a lot of different ways there's there's a lot there and also just JFK is just you know it's a banger you got if you have you have Mr. X in there just I always forget that that X scene is like 20 minutes long like it's it just keeps the best going. scene in the movie, though. It's so yeah. good. It's might be the best scene ever. You know, yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's kind it's of in amazing. The running. Um, yeah. And um, you know, it's the Oliver Stone Coke energy is incredible. He's an interesting <laughs> guy to say the least. But uh, I thought JFK is a really good pick with that. Um, but we'll move to Barbie next, which I feel like I'll go ahead because I feel like you guys will probably have better picks than me. So we'll get mine out of the way. But I went with The Nice Guys, mostly just because nice. it's just two movies where Ryan Gosling just gets to be hilarious. Just let this guy be funny. He just gets to be the lowly sidekick who just gets into silly hijinks. Um, 
I think Weirdly the Nice Guys is probably one of my comfort movies. It's just really, really funny. And I think uh, before Ken, like, this is like Ryan Gosling is like one of the funniest performances of the 2010s. Like, it is just, he is hilarious in this movie and he's going for it. And him and Russell Crowe are just so good together. Um, yeah, I think just the connective tissue here is just, I just love seeing Ryan Gosling just be a silly guy. And, um, so it's just the nice guys. I think a lot of people have seen it, but since it came out, when it bombed in theaters, but it is just really terrific movie. And Ryan Gosling is just really, really funny in it, but I'll point it to, uh, Colin next. So what's, uh, what's your pick here? So for Barbie, I decided to go with nine to five. Um, I think they're both like pretty, I, you know, it's really early to call it, but I think like going to be a generation defining comedy to a certain degree. Um, especially in terms of like female leads and, and, um, you know, being a little bit, I don't like the word edgy, but like a little bit more progressive in, in how it's portraying itself and its message. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, nine to five is just like a wacky movie. I watched it for the first time, like a month or two ago. Um, stupidly funny. Like there's just insane things like that. There's like a, there's a sex swing that is basically a character in that movie. Um, (laughs) And then you've got all three of the leads, uh, Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin just being their best selves. I, I watch Lily Tomlin do anything. Uh, <laughs> one of my guilty pleasure movies that I used to watch as a kid is The Beverly Hillbillies, which if you don't know is a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> but Lily Tomlin is fantastic. And I, I think like in terms of like how I think 9 to 5 has a much meaner spirit to it. It's like a lot more satirical um whereas barbie's a little bit more spoon-fed but i think they're nice it'd it'd be a nice like throwback with something a little bit newer that's a good pick i like that one spencer how about you okay well i was hoping i would be the first thing because this (laughs) this is kind of the silly answer but uh no i wanted to keep the spirit of the whole barbenheimer kind of thing alive like having kind of a tonal polar opposite movie uh, so I went with Paul Schrader's Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, <laughs> which is actually the last movie that I watched. But I, it was crazy how many times I thought of Barbie watching this movie. <laughs> um, on one level, it's because the production design is very uh, abstract and very heightened. And it looks kind of like a, a dollhouse in a lot of points in the same way that Barbie does. But it also holds the, um, it kind of like Oppenheimer, it's about the impacts of like just the bomb that what they caused on <laughs> on uh, Japanese society uh and yeah it's it's a uh, it's it it would I, I feel they would work way better together than most people would expect so that's that's my pick I wonder what Paul Schrader thinks about Barbie is there a Facebook post so, about that yet I, I uh, saw a tweet that Barbie was the first three quadrant movie and the third quadrant was Paul Schrader. <laughs> he does like it. I can't confirm. <laughs> That's great. Cause I know he loves Oppenheimer like uh, before it's released and it was yeah. like the most important movie of like, like the last decade or whatever. So of the century, he of said the of century. the century. Yeah. Well, I love that man. He's bizarre, but I love that man so much. Um, <laughs> Well, I think that about wraps it up for us here. Do you guys have any other Barbenheimer thoughts? Any overarching ideas? I hope that we have an event that's like a non-tentpole event like this more often. 
because this was yeah. a lot of fun and it, it'd be cool to see i i hate using the word original because like it's barbie it's it's not original but like mm-hmm. something that's new and hasn't been movie-fied yet it'd be cool to see more of that you know just become so big and become something that's like larger than the movies themselves becoming a barbenheimer or something similar yeah i can't remember the last time i got a group of people together to go see a movie then have like drinks and then like it's been a minute so this was this was real nice um like i said at the top movies are back just don't think They're about back. the don't think about the writer strikes at all yeah. um or the sound anyway. strike yeah. <laughs> yeah don't just don't, don't think, think about, about any either. of the strikes don't think about how nothing's don't think happening. about workers rights exactly communism right. is evil right that's that was that's the idea of oppenheimer <laughs> yeah yep. <I'm> that. <laughs> But bombs I guess that'll actually do... keep us safer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, bombs, they're great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that, that about does it for us this time. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. As always, you can check out everything we do on moviebabble.com. You can find us on all social media. Search for us. You'll find it. But thank you to Colin and Spencer. And until next time, thank you for listening. Bye.